Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever. Interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hi, um, welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today we're going to radiate generosity with Mark Logan. Mark and I have known each other, I think we figured 15 years? Yeah. Yeah, about 15 years. I measure everything in terms of my daughter, and it was before then, so <laughs> about 15 years. Actually, starting in the political circles, but uh, now Mark has gone into a different venture, mm-hmm. um, had been the owner and CEO of Look and Feel New Media, and now the president and CEO of Idealect here mm-hmm. in Kansas City, based in Kansas City. Now, we're friends on LinkedIn, and Mark had published a... Um, on that fa- on that forum, a um, report on generosity that I thought was really interesting, and that's what really started me starting this um, this talk about getting him out here. So, so you've been working on generosity. Can you tell me a little bit about that? That was interesting. Yeah. So um, my my client base includes mm-hmm. um, social enterprises and nonprofits. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's really my, my practice really operates at the intersection of innovation and inclusion. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm I'm trying to practice innovation for good. Nice. So I was recently engaged by uh, a, a substantial nonprofit here in Kansas City to take a look at their brand health within the charitably engaged community in Kansas City, uh, and then to also understand what drives people to donate time and money. Uh, mm-hmm. To and, and what chooses them to um, select certain um, organizations over others to support? Yeah, was there anything that was surprising to you? Yeah, I, there, were, there were a few surprises. We, the, the first thing that I did was go out and look at existing research, sort of nationally and, and internationally. Mm-hmm. There, there has and there hasn't. So there's a lot of research around what motivates people to give, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of research around what motivates people to volunteer. Right. Um, and those two things are, are somewhat distinct. You know, most nonprofits are vitally concerned with generating money right. and, and fundraising. Um, right. And, and and to a lesser extent, you know, the mayor may not be uh, as motivated around um, attracting volunteers. Right. What there is a deficit of, though, is research around what makes people choose particular nonprofits or select some mm-hmm. opportunities versus others. Right. So that was harder to get at. I can imagine. Um, you know, Kansas City is a very philanthropic city. Yep. There's a lot of deep pockets. There's a lot of giving. There's a lot of volunteerism in Kansas City, which I think is really nice. And um, so you did this for the benefit of a client. And yep. um, so what does motivate people to give or motivate people to volunteer? 
uh, kids and puppies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to say that's true. Okay. Yeah. No. Uh, it, kids it, and puppies. It's it's really borne yeah. out in the in the research when you ask people. Um, we see this both nationally and, and, and locally. When you ask people what their charitable priorities are right. and, and let them pick among a bunch of different categories, children's number one, sure. um, animal welfare is number two, mm-hmm. um, and, and so on down the line. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily line up with where they choose to spend their money and their time, but when you ask them what their priorities are, kids and puppies, right. you know, that's, that's what it's all about. Oh, interesting. So, like, children's hospitals and shelters and foster care and all of these lovely things. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. And then is that true for how we spend our time as well, if we're going to volunteer? Yeah, uh, that doesn't directly line up. There's some differences um, in how people want to spend um, their time and their money. And a lot of that comes down to what they expect the volunteer experience to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's some also there are also some sort of personal preferences there, um, introverts versus extroverts and sure. people who like to socialize, people who don't like to socialize. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there, there are some charities in particular where people are a little bit more reticent to expose themselves mm-hmm. because the, the, the particular charitable organization, may deal in some hard truths. Really? Yeah. So, for example, um, organizations that um, support really sick kids, mm-hmm. people may be apt to donate money to because they're motivated and they feel it's an important cause, right. but they may be less willing to, to expose themselves because mm-hmm. it's sad, you know, True. and it's hard. Um, so, yeah, so there's those kinds of differences. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there could be some technical, we you know, may think that there's some, we have to have some technical ability yep. in order to help out there. Yep. Right. Now, now do you personally do some volunteering and I, donating? I, I do. Um, so my, my personal um, volunteer work <laughs> is largely sort of um, at the advisory or board level or in-kind right. contribution of services mm-hmm. um, because I feel like that's where I can be the, the most benefit. So oh, I run a couple of boards and... and um, I, I donate some of my services, mm-hmm. um, and I do donate monies primarily to organizations that work on economic inclusion and racial equity, um, yeah. because those are my personal priorities. Yeah. We've had a couple of different uh, guests here on the podcast talk about inclusion. It's yep. one of the things that it's passionate that I'm passionate about. Yep. Yeah, and that's fantastic that you've, you've got all this expertise. Why not use it to do good? It's beneficial, mm-hmm. right? It People is beneficial. Need it. Absolutely. And so have you always been in this position to do this? Like, No, not at all. Out? This is relatively new for me. So, right. um, I, you know, my professional background, I started a web development company in 96. Um, I sold it to an advertising agency here in Kansas City in 2005. Um, and I worked for that agency for about 12 and a half years, first leading a digital marketing group and, and then uh, an innovation lab. So I've been involved in technology, content, marketing, and innovation probably for about 26 years. And, yeah. and only um, in the last eight months mm-hmm. have I taken that and, uh, and focused that uh, especially on social good. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, when we met back in the, back in the day, right. 
it was all about social good and all yeah, that. Yeah, and, 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 and doing I've, great I've, stuff. As you know, I've been um, politically involved and, right. and supporting progressive causes and um, mm-hmm. and a number of things that impact the the social sphere. Uh, sure. But I haven't made it my work, and, and now mm-hmm. it's now my work and my values are are in alignment. Yeah, you get to help out with that. And so what in, when you're working in innovation, I know we have a concept of what that means, but yep. it's like, what is the what is it when the rubber meets the road? How do you really help people with innovation? So, you know, I think most people um, associate innovation with technology. Right. And, and technology is can certainly be a component it's of innovation. Of mm-hmm. But the, the definition of innovation that I lean into mm-hmm. is solving difficult problems in new ways. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it it can involve technology, but it doesn't have to. Um, the particular form of innovation that I practice is um, human-centered design. Um, comes under it's known under a different number of different forms. One of the the most sort of popular handles is a a practice called design thinking, and um, it's really just a way of looking at problems. With a human-centered lens, mm-hmm. you you try to develop a, an understanding of the problem from the perspective of the people for or with whom you're designing first sure. and foremost, sure. so that you don't solve the wrong problem, right? right? And you, you solve it in a way that uh, is empowering and inclusive, mm-hmm. and and ultimately you you hope to build equity and um, and empower those people rather than disempower them. Or worse, you know, create a, put a solution into a situation that that doesn't resonate with them. Oh right, right, right. That um, yeah. So yeah. A, another um, another practice that I've been trying to weave into my practice mm-hmm. um, is a tech, is a, a way of working called equity centered design. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, and that's that's really designed for working particularly with um, historically disempowered communities, mm-hmm. tackling mm-hmm. difficult, complex, systemic social problems. Right. Um, it, it can be considered sort of a, a variant or an enhancement of design thinking, mm-hmm. um, and it and it seeks to first understand the systems of power and oppression that work against a solution, Sure. Um, acknowledge the, the history of oppression that exists in a community and, and the history of disinvestment, um, do some healing work, um, and then explicitly involve the community in the design of the solution that's going to work for them. Oh, I love it. Yeah, so rather than treat, treating people as research subjects or right. inputs, to a problem, you treat them as partners and collaborators in the design of a solution. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's the practice that I'm moving towards, and and I love it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so I can see where that would really <clears throat> help something like like giving, like volunteerism, yep. that just really involving all the stakeholders in it. Yep. Right. Yep. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, really contributing to the through wellness yep. of the community and the organization. Yeah. Right. So that they can do more of what they plan to do. Right. right. And again, it's, I think for me, I, I look at it through the equity lens. Yeah. A lot of it is about um, increasing equity and inclusion and, and giving people power and self-determination. Giving people power is, um, is maybe not the right framework, but it's, it's... Allowing them to step into their own power. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and 
and that I think is is pretty um, crucial and 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 important, particularly in this age that we find ourselves living through. Mm-hmm. And so that work you do that would that be <clears> primarily <throat> through like a, a commercial organization or through nonprofits or what type of organization do you feel like you work best with bringing that equity in? So right now I'm engaged with um, some social enterprises. Mm-hmm. These are for-profit organizations that exist to tackle. Um, social problems, so they exist for a purpose beyond just profit. So profit um, and purpose, that's yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and that's a that's a movement that we see happening uh, across a lot of different uh, I've that. parts of society. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So um, one of the organizations I support is um, Conscious Capitalism of Kansas City. Yeah. And um, and that's very much the heart of that movement. Is yeah. So talk a bit, a bit more about uh, conscious capitalism. Yeah. So so conscious capitalism is is really just um, uh, a recognition that capitalism and for profit businesses can be a force for good. Right. Certainly aren't always that. Right. 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 Uh, but they can be, and um, that. Business needs to recognize a purpose beyond profit, mm-hmm. um, needs to organize around serving the needs of stakeholders, not mm-hmm. just serving the needs of shareholders. Right. Um, and then all sorts of business decisions flow from that. Right. I would imagine it makes a company more sustainable. Yep. And a better corporate citizen. Yep. As well. Because, For sure. Right. When you're, when you're engaging the... the uh, Engaging the community and the shareholders as the stakeholders, <coughs> excuse me, as part of, excuse me. Yeah, no <coughs> right, so when you're treating the stakeholders as um, valued members, then it's going to make them more invested. Yeah, absolutely. In the organization and, and, and the community more invested. Yep. Yeah. And and it does introduce some some new tensions, right? Because you're mm-hmm. um, you can't um, focus exclusively on profit and efficiency. Um, so you you introduce some new uh, elements into the equation, but but ultimately you have a better business and and right. you're serving a higher purpose. Right. And you have more buy-in as well, yep. and you're creating more right. good. And and you know among those stakeholders are employees. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So you are you are creating a more um, or a healthier workplace. Right, absolutely. Um, I think we've all seen the trends of, of large corporate layoffs, mm-hmm. of you know um, companies like reducing hours and kind yeah. of pay and things like that. Yeah. Do you see that trend moving back towards something that's more sustainable? Um, yeah, not not wholly. I, mm-hmm. I think um, you know one of the macroeconomic trends that that I'm very uh, aware of. And, and sort of sensitive to right now is the, the gig economy trend right. where everyone becomes an independent contractor and, mm-hmm. um, and, and the employer-employee relationship becomes sure. less central mm-hmm. as an organizing principle in society. Right. I think that has all sorts of implications, certainly politically. Um, does. You know, so much of our economy and society historically has been grounded in that employer-employee relationship and if we are doing away with that relationship, absolutely, uh, then we have to rethink some some pretty fundamental right. elements of the social contract, right? Absolutely. You know, for me, one of the obvious um, uh, elements that we have to consider is healthcare and health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, most people get their health insurance either from the employer or if they're retired or or qualified for Medicaid from the government. Right. Um, but. 
employer-sponsored healthcare has been kind of a pillar of our economy and certainly mm-hmm. of the healthcare sector for decades. Oh yeah, um, and that's going away. Right. And I and I don't think that's going to change. So as more people become contractors and more people become gig workers, right. how do we address that as a society? I, I, for me, that's an argument for universal health care, no, right, so for single-payer. Well, um, or if not single-payer, then at least a public option. Right. Um, but, you know, that... Um, so, so I think, to just go back to your question, I, I think, you know, we're seeing these um, maybe somewhat contradictory... contradictory trends in business. We see some some organizations, both small scale and large scale, mm-hmm. embracing, you know, concepts like conscious capitalism or B Corps mm-hmm. um, or other forms of sort of social or social entrepreneurism really, which Absolutely. is an explicit organization around a social good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that trend I don't think is gonna go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time we're seeing other examples of businesses trying to divest themselves of social responsibility and responsibility to their employees. Right. Uh, and, and that, I think, is problematic. That is kind of problematic. Well, and just uh, to speak to a point that you made about uh, healthcare being tied to employment, I know so many people who have taken jobs <clears throat> in... Um, you know, jobs that they really do not love sure. and companies they do not love only because they need to have health care and health insurance. Yep. And so perhaps we need to have a conversation around what is going to make everyone more fulfilled and happier and being able to well, not only that, live productively and happily. Yeah, that, that's certainly one dimension. Mm-hmm. But I also feel that um, you know, if, if you look at the, um, the, the costs Mm-hmm. to businesses of, of health care and providing mm-hmm. health care as an employee benefit right? Um, and the indirect costs of unwell employees, Yes. Uh, what would happen if that burden were taken off business? Exactly. Right? What, if, what would happen to entrepreneurism, right. um, you know, locally, regionally, nationally, if people were free to start a business without the burden of worrying about health insurance. Well, and what would happen to us if we could do the job that we love and we feel passionate about rather than something just so we can have the health insurance? Right. I think the whole world would be much better off. The whole yeah. country would be much better off. Yeah. Good, yeah. Well, I really, <laughs> really hope we can get this figured out. Well, you know, the, Great. I feel like the trends are good. I think so, too. I feel more optimistic now than I did in 2004. So. People are certainly talking about a lot more. The Overton window has shifted, uh, you know. Tell me about an Overton window. I've not heard of that. It's a political term. Okay. Um, and I, I can't remember the, I don't remember who Overton is. Um, I think he was a Republican strategist. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is that um, the Overton window is the frame of ideas or discussions that are politically acceptable. Right. Right? Okay. So only only some ideas you know are Our deemed to, yes. well or are deemed to be within the mainstream. Right. Right, 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 right. So um, you know, uh, a long I think what well, the first time I encountered this was in the context of social security privatization. Mm-hmm. Right? Many, many decades Social Security privatization was outside the Overton window. Mm-hmm. You know, it, w- it was an idea that was so right. radical that you know no one wanted to touch it. Right. But you know, Republicans made a concerted effort to shift the Overton window so that privatization was 
you know, something within the mainstream of discussion. Right, we're right? tipping that tipping point where all of a sudden it becomes, okay, that that, you can we could do that. So I think on universal health care, um, liberal Democrats and, and progressives mm-hmm. have shifted the Overton window so that universal health care is now supported by 70% of the American public. 70%? 70%. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, you know, it, it devils in the details, right? If you start talking right. about costs and taxes, you know, support drops off a little bit, mm-hmm. but still, you know, on the order of 50%. So it's it's well within, you know, mainstream discussion now. Whether or not we'll achieve it, you know, but but it's Absolutely. it's not something that's considered a Looney Tunes idea anymore. No, I think people are starting to say, well, wait a minute, what is happening in our society? Can we make it better through this universal health care? Right. Can you imagine how your life would be if you didn't have to worry about and, insurance yeah. and health insurance? Yeah, yeah. that would be wonderful. Yeah. But we're straying very far from generosity That's okay. here. That's, That's okay. fine. Yeah. I love talking about this stuff and because it's, it's important. It all contributes to this general idea of wellness and wellness of the society and the community. I also feel like generosity, for me, at Mm -hmm. least personally, is is a little bit grounded in safety, right? Say more about that. I don't know. And and this may not be universal. Okay. Um, This may be idiosyncratic. But I sort of feel like unless I feel safe, I don't feel terribly generous, right? That's a very good point. Um, I I feel like in order to feel like I have a a lot to give to people, I have to feel sort of secure in myself. Absolutely. Right, and, and really going down deep to, to Maslow's hierarchies of need, mm-hmm. right? So right, I've got to right. feel safe in my basic needs and, and all the way up to actualization. Absolutely. The, higher, the more safe I feel, the more I can give. Did you find that in your research as well? Um, you know, I didn't explore that particular dimension. Right. Um, so I, I, I can't say that. This is totally anecdotal. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I have gone through some um, pretty intense health challenges over the last five years. Right. And, um, you know, I know that when I was in the throes of trying to figure out sort of core issues and what's happening to my body and where does this pain come from and what does it mean for my future? Um, I I didn't have any energy to give anything to anybody. No, absolutely I I felt like my survival was under threat. Well, if people are working more than one job, they're working 80 hours a week, they're strapped with health care costs for their children, rising costs for everything else, they don't have the bandwidth to donate money or donate their time because they literally do not have that to give. Well, they literally don't have the time. Right. Right. There there are people who, despite being... um, really economically disadvantaged mm-hmm. are, are generous with the resources that they do have. Absolutely. Um, but when people are working multiple jobs, they literally don't have the time they to They literally don't have that time, yep. right? And, you know, I, I know in the, the charity work that I've done, the volunteerism, all the people calling and asking me for money, et cetera, et cetera, it's like, well, I could, I would give you more if I had it. Yep. I, would, I would give if I had it. And then also asking for resources, asking for people to volunteer. It's like, I would if I could. I just yeah. don't have that resource there. Yep. So um, so in this study on generosity, like what was your what was your approach? How did you how did you design the study to ask these type of questions? How did you go about your research? Well, I, I did three things. So um, first, I did a secondary research review. Mm-hmm. So, um, aka a Google search. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I went out and um, looked at the academic studies and mm-hmm. the um, the industry research that existed on 
uh, motivations, you know, why people, why people right. give. Right. Um, and some of that was um, d- directed, as I said earlier, primarily at um, monetary donations. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been a little bit of interesting research around generational differences in motivations and priorities. Yeah. Yeah. The, the most obvious uh, generational difference that I saw, both in the um, in the secondary research and the and the research that, that I personally did, mm-hmm. um, was around um, motivations and, and importance of uh, children's charities. Right. Uh, that really tracks with mm-hmm. um, life stage, and and as you become a parent, those um, the, the desire to support child-oriented charities really grows. Right. Mm-hmm. So younger people and then older people are less inclined. So and then as you as you move out of active parenting age, right, right. it becomes less of a priority. So the nanas and the papas aren't giving it Not much. not as much. They they That surprises me. I, right? Um, you would think that grandparents would would really be motivated, but you see this decline as, as people age. And so what do they tend to give towards? Uh, you know, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Sure. Um, I, I have to go back to that, but I, but I want to say that um, faith-based things oh, and sure. um, healthcare mm-hmm. uh, become higher priorities. So, you know, our, our priorities track with life stage, track with life experience. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I saw, I also did um, a couple of focus groups and a lot of one-on-one interviews right. uh, as part of my research, yeah. and then I did a local survey of uh, folks who are charitably engaged here in Kansas City. Um, we reached right. about 500 people. Oh, wow, that's a great sample. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a good sample size. Um, some people who are volunteers, some people who are mm-hmm. donors, and, and a lot of people who are both. Um, But life experience and personal preference uh, drives your motivation. So if you have had personal experience with a cause, uh, if you have uh, an uncle or a cousin or a niece, right, who has had some experience with an issue, a particular Mm -hmm. disease, then, then that becomes something that you embrace and support. Right, right. Um, So those, those are the, those are the primary drivers. Um, Charitable choice when it comes down to which charities you choose—that's yeah. highly idiosyncratic. Is it? It really is. Um, and and one of the things that um, that nonprofits believe and know is that yeah. people place a tremendous amount of emphasis on impact data. Mm-hmm. Funders certainly require it, mm-hmm. and so everyone now is trying to tell the story of efficacy and data and impact and efficiency, how they use the dollars, how much goes to overhead and things like that. Does the general donor or volunteer really look at that stuff? So here's the interesting thing. Okay. Right? We all say that we do. Right. Right? We all say that we care about efficiency and efficacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that A, most of us never do the research to figure that stuff out. Okay. I am one who's not done the research right. on those and then, things. And you're not right. alone. Right. Right. But the other thing, the, the really surprising thing, is that it turns out if you do the research, you become less inclined to give generally. Interesting. Why yeah. do you think that is? So th- there have been a couple of studies that show that um, if you give people the facts and figures and ask them to do the research um, to, uh, to figure out where they want to give their money, their overall impulse to donate declines. Interesting. 
Yeah, and 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 so a couple hypotheses there. My own is that um, engaging the rational brain mm -hmm. decreases our sense of empathy and connection, and, and so just engaging, turning this charitable impulse mm -hmm. into an analytical task, looking at numbers uh -huh. and equations, mm -hmm. shuts off your emotional, sort of more human side. Yeah, it takes it out of the heart and puts it in the head. Yeah, and and so there's that, and then. Um, you know, you, you makes sense. it may also sort of uh, get us into the area of the, the paradox of choice, mm -hmm. where if you spend too much time thinking about choices, mm -hmm. or if you have too many choices, to mm -hmm. too many options to choose from, mm -hmm. you become less, li less likely to take any action. I call that analysis paralysis. Right, right. right. But the, there's a thing that's called, that's called the paradox of choice, where... You know, if you're in a store and you're looking at, you know, three or four products, it's relatively easy to say, good, better, best, I'll take the best, right? Or better, you know, or the, the value, or whatever, right. exactly. whatever aligns with your, with your values, motivations, right. resources. If you, if you walk in with that same need and you're confronted with 10 choices, then you're going to walk away without making a purchase. Um, because it's just too much. It's, it's too overwhelming. overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Even if those same good, better, best choices are in the mix, mm -hmm. you'll still walk away without making a purchase. Oh, absolutely. And so I think it's the same with, with charities, right? If, right? if you're supportive with, I want to volunteer some of my time or donate some of my money, mm -hmm. and you suddenly realize you have all of these options, then none of them look as good. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, well, shoot, there's so much need and my little $10, $100 donation yeah. isn't really going to do anything. I might as well not spend it, mm -hmm. right? I can see that. Because it's just a drop in the bucket of all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and the world's a pretty bad place, and there's a lot that needs fixing. But right. on the other hand, if you're confronted with, hey, if you could give us $10 today, it would really help this kid. Um, right. Then you are much more likely to say, yeah, I can afford $10, and if it helps that kid, that's great. Um, you know, so, it, it, the, I mean, another somewhat obvious finding in research mm -hmm. is that um, appeals are much more affected when they're grounded in a single emotional need mm -hmm. rather than um, analytical proof points, right? Right, right, your, right, right. Your $10 will buy... Um, X amount of this and, and help us achieve that. Mm -hmm. That is not as an effective appeal as your ten dollars will help. You know this particular kid exactly. in sub-Saharan Africa mm -hmm. who you know lacks access to education. I wonder if that's why um, there's the popularity of sponsoring a child. Yeah. Across the yeah because you've got that personal connection. Yeah, absolutely. Heifer International. Yeah. Heifer International is great. You uh, can basically buy a cow, a chicken, a yep. goat or something for a village. Yep. And so there's that specificity rather yep. than I'm just going to send this money out somewhere and hope it helps. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, well that makes that makes sense. You get that that personal connection and I would imagine too with the uh, volunteerism. Like Yeah, mm -hmm. so the volunteerism is is really interesting. Um, the a key to um, a charitable brand's help Mm -hmm. turns out to be the quality of the volunteer experience. Right, it has right? to be. Yeah, and, and I think uh, maybe an unrealized element of that <coughs> is that um, volunteers are the most active recruiters and um, advocates Absolutely. for a nonprofit, mm -hmm. and they are also themselves donors. Right. So 
if you um, if you engage volunteers well and and make them feel fulfilled mm -hmm. in their volunteer Valued. experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, then they are going to help make your um, your brand successful in lots and lots of ways. Oh, absolutely. And if you bring people in but don't give them a good experience, and, and I, I heard examples of both in oh, the really? in the Kansas City surveys, sure. um, then you then you know volunteerism can actually hurt your charitable brand. Well, I find that volunteerism um, maybe this is a very small sample, but for my family, that um, it's very social. If my mm -hmm. friends are volunteering somewhere, we're more apt to do that. Yep. So if the Girl Scout troop is going to be volunteering, we're volunteering for Harvesters this Saturday. Yep. So, and that's a group thing. We want to spend time with the troop. And, yep. you know, it's, it can be very social. For a while there, we were volunteering at an animal shelter. And so every week we went, we'd bring a different little friend. And it was a very social thing to do. Yeah. But if you don't have that good experience, that valued experience where... Right, you, f you feel like you're making a difference and you're being appreciated, mm -hmm. then that spreads. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and you're right. Volunteering is very social. Um, people, people do it and, and get um, sort of social currency out of it. They do. They, they interact with the, with the other volunteers. They also recruit their friends and family exactly. to be volunteers. Exactly. Yeah. You're more likely to volunteer somewhere if you've got a friend who does that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you're going to be volunteering, you know, asking your friends to volunteer too, just mm -hmm. to spend time together as yeah. a social activity. Yeah, yeah. So you found that in your, your yeah, research absolutely, as well. very, very strong dynamic. Mm -hmm. Very strong. So what do you think is what do you think is going to be the result of this study that you did? How are so, you going to be able to apply it? Well, um, specifically for this client, mm -hmm. um, they are looking at. Um, fine-tuning the volunteer experience and um, okay. communications mm -hmm. to align with the, the motivations and priorities of the Kansas City charitably engaged community. Um, I think more generally it has applications for uh, both nonprofit and um, and for-profit social impact businesses. Really? Yeah. Um, for-profit social impact businesses, uh, you know, the, the line between sort of social enterprise mm -hmm. and nonprofits is blurring. Um, nonprofits, in, in many cases, are being told by funders to operate more like for-profit businesses and to, to um, right. generate self-sustaining revenue streams. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it really becomes more of an issue of almost tax structure than, than anything else. When you, wow. Yeah, there's very, there can be a very fine line between for-profit social enterprises now and nonprofit businesses. Wow. Yeah, just depending on the operating model and the, sure. the, the, the purpose and mission that they're oriented to serve. Um, so they, they both have to, um, both organizations have to, have to generate traction Mm -hmm. um, within the communities that really care about the purpose that they're trying to serve. Right. So understanding those motivations, understanding how to get people engaged, understanding how to build promoters is, exactly. is imperative. Oh, that's huge. Right, yeah. right. Good. Well, I hope that this study's able to help some of the nonprofits in, around yeah. here and the social... Me too. You know, yeah, the social uh, organizations. I think that'd be great. So I, I know that I was a bit surprised, especially with the the age and the demographics of who gives and yeah. who doesn't, right? Do you find that there's any demographics who uh, give more money than time or vice versa? Yeah, so um, what we, one of the things that we did discover that was a little bit surprising is that um, people age out of volunteering. 
Yeah, I was um, surprised by that too. You would think of people starting to volunteer when they're retired. And and many do. That is, right. that is a lifestyle or a life stage trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we heard that a lot in the focus groups that we did. Sure. Um, people talked about wanting to have a purpose and, and you know, having spent, uh, you know, a lot of time in, in this environment. Interestingly enough, um, some people t- whose professional credentials might have led you to believe that, that they would orient their volunteering in one direction or another, mm-hmm. went completely a different direction. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I found that teachers, for example, right. did not want to go back to school and, and volunteur in education environments. Surprise, I'm surprise. Done, right? right. I, I want to go do something completely different. Right. Um, but, you know, after a certain number of years um, of, of volunteering, mm-hmm. those older folks tended to back off on those time commitments and focus on donating money. Right, right. They yeah. have it. That's great. Yeah, yeah. and younger people um, generally don't. A lot of them, a lot of times, don't have the money, so they're more apt to volunteer. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, it's been really great talking with you, Mark. Thank you. It's been you a too. while, and so I was, I was just fascinated by generosity, of fascinating by giving. Yeah. Now, is there anything that you think would be good to hit again, or something we haven't covered that you think is really important? No, I. Mm, let me think about that. Um, Sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah, that's okay. Um, I, I, from other research that I've done, I, yeah. I know that generosity, giving, donating time is um, a good stepping stone to personal happiness. I think so, too. So many studies bear yeah. that out. Yeah. So um, that, I think, for me, is is a motivation to... Um, to to give is for my own personal well-being and happiness, and and that's selfish, right? It, but but yes and no. But it's totally okay. It's okay to be selfish in that regard. No, it's good to feel happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 when I talk about happiness, I'm not talking necessarily about surface level no, hedonistic happiness. No. Or, but I'm, I'm really talking about contentment with life and satisfaction mm-hmm. and and um, a, a feeling of alignment with your values and, and honestly a feeling that you're contributing and, and doing good in the world. Oh, right? absolutely. That, that's my, that's the foundation of my quest for happiness. Absolutely. Right? I, I want to do some good. I want to feel like I'm doing more good than harm. Um, right. Was, and, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just feel like it makes you fulfilled rather than just like this giddy fleeting happiness or this giddiness. Sometimes giddy happiness is great. That's fine. In controlled doses, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not sustainable for right. very long. Right. No, there's nothing wrong with being giddy. Be giddy. <laughs> if, if you can be giddy, be giddy. <laughs> but I, I totally get your point that it's this deep-seated fulfillment, yeah. this this uh, full feeling that that just drives uh, what we do, and uh, I think the giving is of our time and of our resources a, is a big part of that. Yeah, so I many agree. Stor- and so many studies just do bear that out. Yep. Right. Um, so you've got so your study that I read on LinkedIn that's on your blog. Is that yep. correct? Yeah. Okay. Can you give us the address of that blog? Uh, sure. Just go to idealect. Dot is 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 okay mm-hmm. not dot com not dot com no, is yeah. what's I'm, the is uh, it's actually Iceland um, okay but I like <laughs> the you know I like the statement that 
We is. exist. Is. I love it. Okay, yeah. we'll put that in the show notes. Awesome. Okay, and we'll put your, yeah, I'm sure you've got a lot of other great uh, research studies yep. and a lot of great musings and uh, ideas there. So, um, I, again, I thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Really good yeah, to see you. So good to see you. Yeah. yeah. Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Mediumship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.